When you're driving, speed bumps force you to slow down. Some are big, some are small. Regardless of the size, they can really mess up your car if you go over them too fast. In this go, go, go world, society tends to have a negative view of speed bumps. But in my opinion, they don't have to be a bad thing. We all go through speed bumps in life, such as getting married, a spiritual awakening, having children, changing jobs, a trauma, and more. In this podcast, you will hear the various speed bumps that people have encountered and how those experiences have shaped them into the person they are now. Because every story has speed bumps, and that is what makes life interesting. everyone. I wanted to welcome you to another episode of Speed Bumps. And today I have Mark from My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. He was probably one of the first podcasts that I started to listen to. And he has on a ton of different guests, a ton of different topics. And we actually got to meet in person about two, two and a half months ago, uh, because we're both from Connecticut. And he gave me a tour around Yale and New Haven to look at skull and bones and all of those things. And that was pretty cool to actually meet someone a fellow podcaster in person. So thank you for coming on my show today, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. And yeah, there was actually a- another fellow podcaster there that day. And since then, him and I have uh, have worked on a project together that should be coming out um, by the end of this year related to that tour and, and all the research I've been doing. But this is an honor. I'm glad to see you have a a podcast. I don't know what episode this will be, but I'm excited to be here, Elle. It's really, really cool. And I got to say thank you because you were so kind to give Tara and I this gift here, which is now on our wall. So thanks to you, we are more informed on, you know, the various significant uh, moments within the given month. Like for instance, today is the second day of the cancer sign. Uh, or I'm sorry, third day, third day. It was Tuesday when we shifted into cancer. And I wouldn't have known that without you. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I, we actually have one too. It's hanging on our magic room door. And for those who can't see it, it's uh, like a calendar like you would typically look at, but instead of by the months, it's actually by the seasons uh, or not the seasons, the astrology signs. So it's not your typical, uh, you know, March 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th. It's all by the astrology signs. Yeah. And it's really cool. I like staying in touch with that because, you know, it's hard to keep track when you just have a standard calendar. And then also you have like strange phrases that show up on various days. Like for instance, on uh, July 3rd, it says focus on your dreams. So whatever is going on on July 3rd, it's not that uh, descriptive, but I'll figure it out. It looks like on my other calendar. Yeah, whatever. But anyways, Thank you for that. I just wanted to put that out there right off the top of the bat. Thank you for that. And uh, thank you for supporting my show, too, because you've been supporting the show for a very long time now. You're one of uh, the OG patrons. So thank you, Elle. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Mark has a Patreon where you can get early release to his episodes and a bunch of other bonus content. It's very, very much worth it. 
Uh, he does also does a show called Illuminati Confirmed, and often he'll release those on the Patreon before he releases them on the feed, uh, the mm. public feed. And those are always a blast to listen to. Thank you. Yeah, all the episodes come out early on the Patreon. Whatever I'm done editing them isn't necessarily always when they get published, so I always publish them right away to the Patreon. And yeah, like you said, we have Illuminati Confirmed, and we have a bonus show that's only on the Patreon. So those episodes never make their way to the free feed because we just get too rowdy. And uh, yeah, those kind of conversations are better left for those who are in on it, you know. Yep. Yeah. Behind that paywall, I want to make sure there's no type of censorship needed. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I was on a show recently and he actually had to censor the majority of it because he was going to try and put it on YouTube. <laughs> oh, yeah. I I just stopped publishing to YouTube um, because I'm trying to keep myself in the green. Uh, I have two strikes. Okay. And the second strike is getting kind of taken off today. So after today, I'll only have one strike for a while. And then, you know, then I can push it a little bit and be a little risky because, you know, if you get two strikes, you're good. Three strikes, boom, you're done. Your channel's gone. So yeah, I've been kind of on the edge of the YouTube cliff lately and just trying to hold on to what we have left. But we might start live streaming there more often once that uh, strike is back or gone, which is today. So thanks for reminding me. Yeah, and you do uh, some of your live streams on your Telegram channel too, right? Yeah, that's a cool thing that I don't know if many other podcasts do, but because of the setup here, I can live stream to Telegram through my Bluetooth connection to my mixer that's connected to my microphone and your audio and everything else that happens on the show. So yeah, if you support the show, uh, you get access to the Telegram. It's free for anybody. We have a special one for patrons only. It's sort of a smaller more intimate group. But yeah, I live stream every episode that I remember to live stream <laughs> on the Telegram. So occasionally you'll see it. Sometimes I'll, I'll admit I get really nervous about live streaming, especially when it's like a guest that I uh, look up to or I'm really excited to have on the show. Uh, I'm definitely more comfortable when it's someone I'm friends with already or, or know of, or maybe they're like a similar level where they're also a podcaster like me. Usually those ones I'm live streaming every time. But when I have like a really big guest on, I don't know, maybe this is the opposite. I should do like, like David Icke. Like that was, that was pretty epic. Not going to lie. Right. And I don't know, I might've live streamed that one, I but did. I had, I had Ron from New England backing me up for that interview. So yeah, that was, that was really cool. I'm glad you liked it. I, uh, yeah, I strung that together and I'm really proud of how it came out. You know, it was a, it was a good opportunity to talk to a legend like him. He was actually the first person I probably ever heard talking about conspiracies in a way that like clicked with me. I mean, you've might've heard me talk about this on my show underground rap music was a big inspiration for me when I was younger. I was just looking for interesting music and rap was what was popular. And I started finding on iTunes, a sort of same old generic thing going on. And, and there are a few rappers that stood out on that platform that keyed me into the world of rappers that didn't make their way to pay uh, to, you know, iTunes and all that. So and this was at a time when there was LimeWire, so you could like yep. download a bunch of, Ill, you know, illegal music, you know, sorry, 
rappers that I wasn't supporting you, but I didn't know any better. I feel bad. I feel guilty about it now, but I went and got all sorts of really awesome music off LimeWire. And then I figured out how to like rip songs off YouTube. And you could even, you could still do that to this day, turn a YouTube video into an MP3. Uh, But now, you know, things have changed. But back then you got iPods. I would load up my iPod with all this conspiracy rap music. And one of the best songs from back then was End of Days uh, by Vinnie Paz. Paz. Yes. And Black McCloud and, 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 David Icke's quote is used at the beginning. So yeah. And we talk about all that kind of stuff on my show, as you already know, I just had a really cool conversation with a rapper from Pittsburgh. Uh, He also makes, I mean, to call him a rapper is really an understatement. He makes a very diverse uh, array of, of music and puts it out for free for people to use for their projects. And as a podcaster who, as you know, from listening to my show, I put a bunch of music into each episode yeah. and I can't do that uh, if I don't have like a proper license or right to use that yes. music. And, and luckily there's a lot of artists out there like Lou Kalisna shout out who put their, you know, talent out there for people to adapt into their projects. So I had him on and we talked a little bit about that. And he was telling me the reason why rappers used samples back in the day was because they didn't have the money to go out and buy all these instruments, but they wanted to make interesting beats. They didn't want to just use like, you know, the same, same like generic uh, electronic sort of rhythm things that they would get. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not musically literate. You probably could tell me either. It's okay. (laughs) But that's what they would do. They would go and take vinyls and they would take a cool like riff of a, of a a jazz song or something and hear like the horn and mix that into a beat. And I really appreciated that style. And I think I've achieved something like that or inspired by that through the podcast where you do hear me mixing things into the show, various quotes maybe even movie clips. And I'm not the first podcaster to integrate that into this, you know, vessel, this vehicle of podcasting. But yeah, that's really where podcasting sort of is most fun for me is is the second part of it. After the fun conversations are done, you know, presenting them to the listeners in a way that uh, grabs their attention and makes them, uh, gives them the impression that they're listening to something that's like, I don't know, happening in like a really cool place, you know, like I I try to imagine like these podcasts that we make now are going to be played in the future at some kind of like techno cafe, you know, and like the music behind it, I think really blends to that, you know, but I'm kind of rambling. You asked me before we started to think of two things that I like about myself and that's how we'll start. So two things that I like about myself. Um, This is a a tough question because I'm sort of somebody who, I I mean, any, any type of complimentary thing that I can say about myself is tough to do as a New Englander because there's a certain phoniness that I feel anytime I talk about myself. And that's not something that's just me. I noticed that in a lot of my friends. In New England, we're just not, you know, the type to boost ourselves up. We like 
try to tear each other down. And that's like how we kind of build up our confidence, you know, and yes, integrity. It's really weird. Like, yeah. I'm going to say something bad about you, but take it the good way and take it the opposite <laughs> way because that's how I really mean it. Right. Exactly. And that, I almost thought you were going to just say something bad about me, but I understand now you're giving me an example. I got really su- surprised there. I'm like, Oh no, don't, don't, no, no, no. It was funny right though the bat. <laughs> that you brought up uh, what I was supposed to ask you because literally maybe 30 seconds before you said that I thought in my head, Oh yeah, I forgot to ask him this and I was supposed to. So it's really funny that you brought it up and thank you. Oh no. And maybe that's something I should like about myself, my ability to compose myself in the podcasting realm. I guess I was working around to that because I think podcasting is the result of many different career with air quotes choices that I've made. Um, And I talked about this a bunch where podcasting was like a way to educate myself. I started listening to all this stuff. And now I think I'm really, you know, uh, prepared to do what I'm doing. So I'm, I'm grateful for that. And I think I could pat myself on the back and say, you know, I'm certainly uh, somebody who deserves to have the podcast following that I have so far because I put the work in, you know, it was many years before I, before I started the podcast that I ever, uh, you know, like when I was listening, I was really like forming in my mind, you know, like what, what is it that I'm bringing to this conversation? So yeah, a lot of work went into what I have now and I I'm, I'm proud of that. So I will say, you know, I think I'm, I can compliment myself and say I'm a pretty good podcaster for somebody who's only been doing it for uh, a year and a couple months, two years, I think we're almost coming on the two year anniversary this uh, October, I guess. That's exciting. Uh, Yeah, I'll have to do the math. I'm not sure if it was 2019 or 2020, but uh, someone else can tell me. But yeah, that's the first thing. And then I guess the second thing is, um, is my curiosity. I like I've always been very curious and that's gotten me where I am today. And I'm, I, I don't know what it is about other people that makes them not curious. And I'm not talking about you or anyone listening. Cause I'm sure most people that become interested in podcasts like this are curious people, right. but the people who aren't listening to stuff like this and just kind of maybe even, um, you know, bitching about how their life sucks, but they never brought in their horizon enough to, you know, really change their life in a impactful way. And I think that has to do with curiosity. I think it has to do with school, making people bored of learning. And from a young age, learning becomes uh, something that, you know, seems difficult when the learning that I've accomplished just through listening to podcasts and then taking that and helping build a sort of comprehension of what was in these books. Cause you know, a lot of the books that I would buy when I was younger, I would read a few chapters and be like, geez, I don't know what the hell they're talking about. You know, there were certain books that I could relate to that were more like body consciousness, soul centric. I always really resonated with stuff like that. But as much as I was fascinated with history and knew there were like occult esoteric aspects to history, it was sort of a barrier 
until very recently. I feel like I've kind of made some breakthroughs on my ability to comprehend stuff and and just focus on on researching things. So yeah, I guess I'm, I'm grateful for for my curiosity and just the series of events that led me to podcasting. You know, I think that is a sort of synchromistic journey. And I didn't even realize that was a word until I found podcasting, you know, like four or five years ago, I was living a synchromistic life the way I am now. And the same was true eight or nine years ago. That's probably when it began. Uh, but I only, you know, in the past three years realized that that was all synchromistic. And um, since being aware of it, there's a sort of owning it that happens. And, uh, and yeah, that comes with like leveling up, you know, especially being in a relationship because it's not just my energy. It's my girlfriend's energy as well. Um, who you've met as well. Yep, <laughs> Tara. Yeah. Yeah. What and, is your favorite synchromistic experience or a most recent one? Hmm. Well, there are some weird most recent ones that I'll probably not be able to remember. Um, the, the ones that are further in the past are easier to remember for some reason, because probably because I've talked about them the most. But that's why I like the show I do with Michael Wan, because it's weekly. So I kind of am able to capture what's been going on as I'm prepared to talk about it. Uh, but yeah, synchronistically, you know, animal encounters just are always synchromistic for whatever reason animals are drawn to me and I'm drawn to them. So I can give you a couple examples of, of that recently. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's probably due to the fact that I'm in a place where there's more wildlife than where I normally am. So it's not that strange to someone who lives in a rural area, but yeah, I came across a deer today and, and there was another deer and it's the third deer this week. So in my mind, there's something going on with, with deer and, and maybe I should keep track of what that uh, omen means, what that spiritual impression that a deer carries with it means for me at this point in my life. I've also you, seen it. What's God, that? I was going to say, have you looked up like what a deer might, seeing a deer might mean? Hmm. I have a book about it, but no, not recently. I should have before this conversation, but uh, the toad, I saw a toad. I saw a mole. I saw uh, a bird that wasn't flying and I got really close to it. So I don't know. I think I've just had all of these really interesting experiences with nature lately that have told me that the job that I have right now, where I'm working on my computer is not who I am. Uh, and I think I need to, from this point, integrate nature into my life more. And I've been guilty of that. And Tara always tells me like, oh, we got to go out. Let's go and do this. She's at the beach right now. I mean, it's a beautiful day. How could I blame her? Um, and that's kind of great for me because she's pushing me in that direction anyways. But I think that's what synchromysticism it, whatever that is, is always going to do. It's always going to bring you to a higher place in your life. If that's where your intentions are set, which is true for me, 
maybe I shouldn't speak so absolutely because I think synchromysticism can take you to a dark place too, but maybe that's what you're looking for. Maybe that's what you also maybe need too, because darkness isn't necessarily always a bad thing. You know, it's, it's not always a moral thing of like, Oh, uh, this shouldn't be happening to me. Sometimes I think these moments of suffering and, and hardship are what makes us stronger and, and gives us the drive to push on in a way that uh, inspires others, even if they never see your struggles, right? Because absolutely those, you know, those moments in the darkness are inherently for you and only you. That's why monks go into to caves to, to, you know, focus themselves in in that state of darkness, right? So I think metaphorically speaking, when we're at dark points in our lives, it's okay to feel like, all right, maybe this is something I don't want to show the whole world as long as you know that it's temporary, you know? Because of course, if somebody's going through a hard time and they need help, don't keep it to yourself, you know? I wouldn't recommend that. But that being said, I've always felt like this pendulum swing where rough times in my life have borne amazing opportunities Absolutely. that once you dive into that can bring back another rough time, which then come, you know, and it's this swing, but it, every time, as long as you're spiraling upwards, you're heading in an ascending direction rather than in a descending direction you're ascending this paradigm, you're ascending the the troubles of, of life, you're ascending in a spiritual hierarchy of you, your lower self and your higher self, and, and maybe even like the lower world, the middle world and the higher world. So I think everybody's on a journey between those three places. And if you're aware enough to understand that everything's connected, then synchromysticism is sort of like a uh, necessary uh, requirement. Like it's, it's sort of required that you at least recognize synchromysticism to some degree. Otherwise, it can make you feel kind of loony. I mean, I think people like that Jim Carrey movie where he's obsessed with the numbers, I think that's a real thing but it's because they're experiencing a real thing in a misguided way. They don't have a backbone of spirituality to show them that like, Oh yeah, everything's connected and you are seeing patterns, but that doesn't, it's not because you're crazy. You know, we've been led to believe that we live in this world of random chance and happenstance and all this like, Oh, Uh, You know, well, consciousness is just the result of a bunch of atoms colliding. And over time, you know, tadpoles learned how to think like, no, I don't I don't know if it's that simple. And I think that's part of uh, part of a a deception, you know, like science has so much to offer. You know that I I understand you're uh, somebody who spent a lot of time learning and uh, has uh, a sort of. a profession that would say, you know, you know a lot about science. So I think you would agree that science has a lot to offer, but at the same time, we live in a world where, you know, there's a sort of materialist deception and maybe 
it's not even just materialism. It's just that people have been led to believe that things are categorized. And in that categorization, there's inherent separation. Yeah, everyone, it's human nature to want to label and put things in a box. Mm. And when we can't do that, a lot of people are very uncomfortable with it. Well, and so that, that, that phrase though, it's human nature to want to categorize things. I think that's exactly what I'm saying isn't true. I think that's been okay. conditioned into us, not to be you know no, no. confrontive, but I think that's, that's exactly where uh, I was trying to go with that because I think, you know, we as human beings have been conditioned to think that there is a human nature, but I don't know if that, you know, there's an established consensus on what is human nature. I think uh, psychologists will want to tell you that over the past 200 years, man has become smart enough to figure out what human nature is, but I don't think there's really any way of, of knowing for certain what was in the minds of the mound builders or what was in the minds of the Incas, uh, you know, places where we have little record of what they were thinking, but we have examples of what they were doing, right. uh, you know, and, and that's an entirely different conversation. But I think the, uh, yeah, the, the idea that human nature is fixed has been led us, led us to a place where uh, we have this kind of, uh, conditionality of things where, you know, one thing has to lead to this thing. So therefore this thing can be corrected by only this thing. And it becomes a situation where people aren't letting others make their own decisions for some reason, you know, it feels yeah. like a top down hierarchy and maybe I'm just a conspiracy theorist, but I think there's been a yeah, deceptive, trick going uh through the the souls of the collective consciousness to give us this impression uh that we're just sort of uh drones or something like that you know yeah and i, and I mean you do, you do make a good point about the human nature because if you look at a young kid and you ask him how do you choose your friends it's well Susie likes to play the same game as me or johnny runs fast like me or things like that um but they don't see color. They don't necessarily see boys and girls. They just see, do their friends like to play with them or play the same games or like the same things, things like that. But you start, I know if you want to like the riots or something, Sesame Street had like a count, like a something on racism. And it was like meant for young kids. And prior to this, my stepdaughter, if you asked her how she chose her friends, it was the way I first described it. You know, Susie likes to do this and Johnny does this. And then after she watched that, and we didn't ask her to watch that, um, but she watched that and then it was, well, and then she started noticing skin color because it was introduced to her, those labels, that idea, that division was introduced and she had no idea what that was until someone told her it had to be divided until someone told her there was division. So you do make a good point. And I, I think that's why parents are so upset right now. And me not being a parent, I uh, can't weigh in too far, but I used to teach martial arts in a dojo and we had two classes, two different age groups. So, you know, I got into martial arts, not expecting to teach kids, but it was sort of something uh, like with martial arts, you know, 
I could get paid to help out my teacher and then also not have to pay for classes anymore if I help him out. And it was also like, oh, wow, he thinks I'm good enough to help him run this class. So, you know, I, I never expected to to be working with kids in that way. And it's funny because my family, they're like, oh, Mark, you're so good with kids. But I noticed that when I was teaching kids martial arts, like there really isn't uh, a set way for them, you know, and I was very careful to respect that in them because all I was teaching them was how to move their body and have fun. Like we were right. We weren't expecting them to become like badass fighters, you know, yeah. that and like, be the next Jackie Chan. <laughs> yeah. And like a lot of them, they, they ran into like bullies in school. So they would, they would tell us their like bully stories. And my teacher Ryan was, I mean, I could, I've had him on my podcast. He's definitely a role model of mine, but he was always very, um, you know, direct with them about like, you know, how you carry yourself is how other people treat you in the world, you know, and now they're sort of teaching kids to, you know, see others by what they look like and not how they act, you know, like what Ryan was really saying was like, when you act confident, bullies don't want to mess with you. It's, right. it's, it's the fear that they see that uh, they're, you know, picking on you for. And, and he was right. I mean, those kids who realized that and picked up on it, some kids wouldn't, some kids wouldn't, they just wouldn't get it. And that's fine. Maybe they get it when they're older. I didn't get that until I was like 14 or 15, but yeah, it was, uh, it was really cool to see that. And it taught me a lot about how most people really don't think about other people thoughts. And that might be a huge generalization, but I think in general, people are, you know, respectfully to their lives are like so in their own lives focused that they just get out of touch with what other people are thinking. Um, Absolutely. And that, that can be like a really groundbreaking, like secret. Like when you realize to yourself that most of what other people do is based on what they're thinking and not to do with you, it's like freeing, you know, that's kind of the same thing we were telling those kids is like, you know, just, be confident, be yourself. And, and people won't pick on you. They won't sense your fear. You know, this whole idea of like, well, your identity is what others see in you. I think that that's, you know, a part of this deception. It's this fixed thing. Like you are only what people see from you on the outside. What does that say about someone? What you see from them on the outside? Not much. I mean, sure. It's like judging you can, a book by its cover, right? Yeah, you can get a sense of how someone's personality might be by their fashion choices, but can you really tell like how that person treats others just by like their appearances? No, you know. So, and uh, and all the other things that make a, a person unique and special, right? It's very rarely something you can take uh, uh, in at a first glance, right? You want to yeah. get to know somebody, and and that's the deception that they want to put on kids is like. It, everything's superficial. Uh, this world's dying. Let's just go into the metaverse and, and enjoy, uh, you know, not leaving your house and being plugged into the matrix or whatever. You know, I think that 
part of it. Again, I'm a paranoid conspiracy theorist without kids yet. I will have kids one day, but, uh, but yeah, that's definitely, definitely out of my realm right now, you know, to say what, what's good for kids, what's not good for kids, but I could say what's good for human beings. And I don't think that those kind of messages are, are coming from a place of like, well-meaning. That's the uh, one thing that I think my family thinks I'm crazy about to drop the name of my podcast <laughs> in here is, is they like, don't understand that some people might have an agenda against the majority of people. They think, well, if, if bad stuff does happen, it's either because it's just like one lone bad actor, or maybe it's like, you know, people's general folly, you know, because we all make mistakes and oh, they couldn't have done something that sinister. They can't be trying to program the kids. They just like, why they would they want to do that? They can't yeah. understand why someone would want to be that evil, that bad. Well, that- even, even it, it, not even just evil. It's like, well, like if you're politically, uh, disagreeable with somebody and it's under the guise of like well they just have a different political belief than me we have to this is a democracy we have to respect other people's political beliefs well i'm sorry children don't understand politics okay they're not thinking well i'm a democrat kid so i'm not gonna pick up the messaging that i see on fox news no they're gonna get the messaging and the same is true for the inverse which is the more (laughs) What we're really talking about here is what MSNBC and those types are are broadcasting to the kids. And I don't think it comes from a well-meaning place. I think that's one of the bigger uh, issues at play here is, is the general public might not realize that, yeah, there is something called social engineering. And there are people who stand outside of the borders of left, right politics and enforce that social engineering agenda so that they can have more control over the general population. I mean, and, and, and to give themselves more, uh, more control is only to make their lives better and ours worse. Right. I mean, people get this idea of like, well, I'm not being controlled. I'm free Americans. Like, yeah, well, your life is controlled. I'm sorry to break it to you. It's still controlled. And yeah, we are the freest country probably in the whole world, but, uh, I don't know. I hear some great stories from people who become expats and and enjoy the rest of their life somewhere where they don't have to pay crazy taxes and, and, and deal with gas spikes and all this stuff. Well, even if, you know, all my life wasn't controlled, even if you chose not to wear a mask, I'm sure at some point you couldn't go into a store because you didn't want to wear a mask. That is a form of control. Um, Whether you like it or not, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, that is a form of control and that we're not getting into the free speech realm or whatever. That's just a fact. You know, if you can't afford to go on vacation in your car because gas is like over $5 a gallon right now, when two years ago it was half that, that is also a form of control. So people are controlled in many ways, but they like, like you said, what's the Vinnie Paz quote? easy to something about prison bars right and it's easy to see the bars or being in prison and think you're free and not see the bars mm. yeah that's that's david i yeah, that's that what I beginning yeah. of that song yeah he says uh something about you know people are living in a prison they can't see the bars so they think they're free that's, yes that's the yes. gist of it yeah that's the gist of it yeah exactly and 
I feel like that's very true. You know, you think you have these rights, you think you have all of this stuff and people are getting censored on YouTube and they have to be careful what they say or Twitter, Instagram, or insert social media platform here. Um, There's your tax dollars. You don't get a say in where they go and you still have to do it. Like those are all forms of control. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, you know, those, those are reasons why my family thinks I'm crazy mostly because I get upset about it and I start talking about it. You know, I can very well keep to myself, especially now that I I could just, you know, say everything I want to say on the podcast. But before that, before I had this outlet, yeah, it was very frustrating and it felt like, oh yeah, there's not many people who see the world the way I do. And even at that, you know, because this is the speed bumps podcast, I would say, that type of thinking that we just both engaged in and it's totally fine and reasonable, it can lead to speed bumps because you start getting yourself down about how the world is and you lend to that agenda, right? I mean, that's really, I think the brighter side of the types of podcasts that we engage in, you know, uh, where people take a, a glass of optimism to the table with them. Uh, Because, you know, I've had episodes where people come on and they're sort of, yeah, the world sucks and it's going to end soon. And this is why, you know, and it's like, yeah, okay, but what are we going to do about it? Right. Right. Because I've never come to this equation to be like a a bystander, uh, you know, witness to the apocalypse. If anything, I'm going to try to uh, educate people and raise the awareness so that less participate (laughs) because I think that's what it's all about. They get us conditioned, socially engineered to participate. And one of the things that has been the most helpful in my life is to remove all of that social engineering programming. Cause I, you know, I'm a parent, you know, my parents, they just had me and my sister. I have a bunch of cousins, but they all lived very far away. And my mom had, you know, several different friends with kids, but most of them were younger than me. So I didn't really have like a brother at my age, you know, I had my younger sister kind of felt like I was, uh, you know, leading uh, a lone wolf lifestyle, you know? So for me, it's very comfortable to be kind of in my own independence. I've always kind of been that way. Uh, But at the same time, you know, you have to be able to believe in yourself because I think there is a lot of moments in my life where I didn't have any uh, backbone of like, oh, well, you know, this person knows the real me, you know, because you're so guarded in, you don't really tell many people about who you really are it's hard to uh, have faith to keep going, you know? So lately taking all that social engineering crap out of my life, you know, a lot of it was informing how I interacted with the world, you know, being isolated to some degree, you don't really have uh, a family to um, kind of help you understand how to engage with people socially. So you pick up that stuff from television and movies and, and that kind of was weird. You know, I realized like, Oh, that was weird. I shouldn't have done that. I should have been more uh, outgoing and less introverted at that age because 
I was stopping myself from interacting with people. And that was like, you know, making it more difficult as I got older to interact with people, which is not good. You know, you know, once you fly out of the nest, you know, you can, you got to be able to, to socialize and make connections. Even if you're not going to become everybody's best friend, you still have to know how to talk to people. And I think one of the biggest like wake ups for me was learning about how a lot of that stuff was social engineering and then being able to go in reverse and think like, Oh, okay. I wasn't like pathologically something crazy. Like I was just being influenced by pathological liars and, and crazy people. Like some of these celebrities are just insane when you actually learn about their lives and the residue of their personality, even when they're playing a role and acting in a character seeps through. And, and yes, there's a degree of social engineering that's way above my level of recall. I couldn't go into detail too far, but yeah, this concept of like, Whoa, did I MK ultra myself? You know, like this idea that you like get entertained by this social engineering entertainment so much so that it informs who you become. And I've always been fascinated in the occult. So to find out that all of those symbols were inlaid and what I was, you know, entertaining myself with, it's like no surprise. I don't think many people have the interest in history or science like I do to go in and want to understand why something like this would happen but that's who I am. So that's where I'm at. And I feel like, uh, you know, freeing myself from that and also social media too. And being in a relationship helps as well. Cause you know, dating and it brings you into the social engineering world, uh, because that's just the way it is. It's hard to find people who think like this. So you naturally to just meet people, you got to interact with people who are socially engineered and that could be a bummer. You know, I'm probably categorizing people, which is weird because we started off talking about how that's not a good thing. But I, I think to a certain degree in America, like our culture has so much social engineering in it that we are like kind of infants compared to other cultures in a way. And I think well, that's purposely so. And that's not to say like people listening are infants or anything like that. I'm talking about the general population, not the podcast listeners. Well, I feel like the way you're describing social engineering, and I agree with all of it in a more simplistic way is social engineering is the bully. And when you wake up and realize, and you take away that fear from that social engineering, it's being able to stand up like you talked about, you know, teaching the kids in martial arts, because that bully is going to keep picking on you. It's going to keep being there. It's going to keep, you know, and then you have the bullies that are like the frenemies where they're very nice for a little bit and they try and be your friend. And then they're mean to you again. And there's this back and forth. And I feel like that describes social engineering where, or even, you know, just the pandemic of, oh, you're under lockdown. Oh, you're not under lockdown. Oh, we have to wear masks. Oh, you don't have to wear masks. And this back and forth, this constant wondering, this keeping you on your toes and having that fear in you. And that's what they feed off because the more that you fear and the more that you listen and the more that you respond, the more they're going to do just like a bully. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's a lot of it, you know, and <clears throat> I'm not perfect. I still fall victim to 
my own flaws and as I strive to become a better person. And, and I think doing the podcast definitely helped because working a normal job has always been difficult for me. Uh, I've found jobs that have worked, but those jobs tended to be just like not anything (laughs) to make, you know, what I think I should be making, you know, like, I don't know, maybe I have too high hopes, but I definitely see myself retiring in a really nice house with like a big library with my books in it and stuff, you know, like I, I've never been the type of person, even though I come from humble origins, so to speak, like I've always sort of had this ideal, a higher ideal. And that's kind of like a, um, I don't know, it's a flaw for sure. Cause it definitely makes me like, uh, you know, want to do better than I'm doing, which isn't a flaw, but it means that I'm critical, very critical. And I think that could be a flaw. Um, I think it can be a flaw if you're critical and then you choose not to do anything about it. If you're just, oh, I'm not making enough money. So, and and that's a bad thing. So, or whatever. And then you beat yourself down because of that, as opposed to going, okay, I'm not where I want to be. What can I do to be where I want to be? So being critical in the sense of you're trying to further yourself, I think is a great thing and a skill that honestly, most people don't have because they don't want that introspection. Right. So well, I think and that's it's just being the, critical. That's the thing where it brushes up on being a flaw is because if you're not able to go past like, okay, I'm, I know I could be doing better, but I don't know how, right. That's the difficult part. Cause then it's like, then that's where I feel like the paranoia kind of seeped in a lot where it was like, well, the reason why I'm not, you know, doing as well as I think I should be is because there's a conspiracy against me. <laughs> you know, there's a, there are forces that are are making this system rigged. They're making it difficult to get out of this, you know, rung of the, the class system. And the whole fact that we're in a classist system is wrong too. And all of these things can really like, keep you in a low vibrational place, even though you have a high ideal, you have a high resonant uh, view of things. You see things for what they are. uh, You're, you're succumbing to their influence, which I think that's like the, the goal of the alchemist, right? Which I am not yet. Maybe that's what synchromysticism is leading me to. I think so. Yeah, maybe that that's, that's what it's all about though. It's about like taking that darkness and, and transmuting it into light and overcoming that is, is possibly what will provide for, you know, a miraculous, uh, amazing property where I can spend the rest of my life just podcasting, farming and uh, reading books. (laughs) Well, it, it was like you said earlier, where we go through these hard times, difficult times, dark times, whatever you want to call them. And in those a lot of times opportunities will present themselves to get us out of those, but it's being open to those opportunities. It's being open to trying something new and doing something scary and taking that leap of faith. So we're not stuck in that dark place. And a lot of times, you know, you keep talking about synchromysticism. I'm willing to bet that the people who are in those dark places, if you looked, there are signs, you know, there are things that you can be doing, but you're unsure. And so they have that little voice in your head going, Oh, that's not going to work. Don't do that. But what if it does? What if it goes right? What if you take that chance 
And if the worst thing that can happen is that you are back in the same spot that you are, then why not do it? Because literally you're not losing anything. Yeah. I mean, you lose 100% of the shots that you don't take or something like that. Yeah, you miss. Yeah. And wow, I was talking about animal synchronicities and I have a window right in front of me that there's like a marsh. Mm-hmm. I've never seen any animals through the amount of foliage between me and the waterline, but I'm seeing a beautiful white egret just sort of like dancing uh, around over there, kind of like sitting in the water looking for fish. I've never seen any animals from this angle. So, wow, look at that, synchromysticism. <laughs> like, I'm telling you, there's people think that, you know, finding a penny on the ground is pointless or when you get stuck at a red light when you want a green light or. Mm, I, can I no, tell green... you an example of one of those moments? Yes, please. So I was leaving court. Okay. Which is never a place you want to go. Right. Nope. And uh, it was some traffic BS and it was just a rough part of my life. And I was like, Oh geez, it got so many traffic tickets in this stupid city. I don't want to work here anymore. And I looked down on the ground as I'm crossing the street across from the courthouse and I find what's known as a Toynbee tile. And you may have heard me talk about this on the podcast before, or maybe we even pointed them out on the tour because there is some near where we met that pizza place that we went to. I remember listening to a podcast about this this, and it wasn't yours. It was somebody else's like stuff. They don't want you to know or something. And that fascinates me. Like I love the Toynbee tiles. So listen to this. So I found one of those and then I found that podcast that you just mentioned. Yeah. And they did that episode like 2013 or 14, like a long time ago. So it was out there for a while by the time I found it, but I found it and I'm like, Whoa, a conspiracy theory type thing. It's art. It's a mystery. We don't know who made it. This guy's mysterious. He had a car with, you know, a whole thing cut out on the bottom so he could drive around and throw them on the street. And it turned out that the ones in New Haven were replicas, like by a similar artist who was sort of like picking up on what the original Tyler did. And, and, and I don't know, I guess the copycat is not the right term there's another term for like honoring that or uh paying yeah. homage or something like that yeah, yeah. and it, it was almost like uh it was like a, a fake or a forgery the way they described them on the internet because there's so much legend around the toynbee tiles that like oh well the forgeries aren't as cool right but i still thought like whoa like this is cool and whoever uh hounds of hades is because that's the ones that are in new haven maybe it's a new version of the same tyler and he just like changed his verbiage up or something or maybe it's a you know it's a different person altogether an apprentice or even something like that yeah who knows but either way i found them and i started looking for more and there's like six or seven uh that i found in new haven and uh, every time I've traveled to a big city on the East Coast, I've looked around and I found some in New York City. I saw that's some cool. in Philadelphia. And um, yeah, that's really the extent of my traveling, unfortunately. I haven't been, I've been to Boston, but I haven't been there as an adult, really. So I never got a chance, but apparently they're all over the East Coast. And yeah, I started looking for them. I'd post them on my Instagram and that's when podcasting became something that like 
reached out and grabbed me, you know, because before that it was like, oh, I listen to music. I listen to this, like Joseph Campbell, Spotify archives. I'll watch YouTube videos. I didn't really click with podcasts for a while, even though they were out there. And then that podcast kind of gave me that experience. And then I found the Joe Rogan experience. And that's (laughs) how I found Sam Tripoli. And I mean, geez, that's a whole story there uh, with how Sam and I linked up. And I've told that story a bunch, so we don't need to retell it. But uh, it was definitely synchronistic. And I I don't know. I, I mean... That Toynbee tile experience, like I said, it was really a rough patch in my life. And then ever since then, I've worked uh, delivery jobs and listened to podcasts. And since I stopped delivering packages, I've been just doing the podcast stuff for uh, my whole job. You know, I have to do odd jobs and stuff to supplement. But yeah, for the most part, I, I, you know, make money with podcasts, not just my own podcast, but, uh, through helping other people with their podcasts. So yeah, it's, it's interesting how when you open your heart to, uh, risk and the possibility of not knowing where you're going to end up, some amazing things could happen. And that doesn't mean like be aimless, but I think like when people hear the word fool, they're like, Oh, fool is not something I want to be. But there's a reason why there's a fool on the beginning of the tarot card. It's because you have to be able to admit that you know nothing to begin to learn everything, right? And I think yes. that's where I've always been. Uh, I've been able to admit <laughs> that I don't know anything because anytime I've tried to pronounce what I know or believe in, people are argumentative and say, oh, no, that can't be true. So it's Usually you keep your friends if you're just able to admit that you were wrong, even though you know in your heart that you were probably right. So I've done that a lot. <laughs> so I looked up when egret was, like the metaphysical mm. meaning. And this is just from one website, but it says egrets are sim- symbolic of purity, strength, balance, concentration, longevity, and piety. Because they tend to enjoy solitude, their spirit also represents freedom and independence. Well, isn't that everything that we've been talking about? <laughs> I mean, I do live in a place where these little birds are are present, so it's not an anomaly that it showed up. But yeah, I think there's truth to that. And like I said, I've never seen one from this angle before, and I do sit at this desk very often and look out the window. So yeah, and just... Uh, a few days ago, Tara and I saw some swans, two swans in that same river. And when I was a kid, uh, my grandmother used to take me uh, to a park that's upriver on the river that I live on now. So it's kind of weird because when I was younger, I had like a connection to this waterway and now I live on it. And that's all because of Tara. She knew the landlord. And so it's kind of interesting how that that leads into your life you know obviously you know about michael wan's work susquehanna river for people who aren't uh, familiar michael wan has done a bunch of inspiring research about the susquehanna river and that was one of the biggest synchronicities for me because right around the beginning of the pandemic uh i had a friend that i met in new haven 
who was from Egypt and she needed to take a flight back to Egypt, but her flight got delayed. And we ended up becoming friends over the few months that she was stuck in the United States. And she asked, uh, you know, because I was a Lyft driver at the time, how much I thought it would cost to take a lift all the way from Connecticut to Virginia. And I said, well, geez, that's going to be a lot of money. Maybe you should just give me, you know, $300 and I'll take you down. And she ended up giving me more than that because between me and you, this girl, she was pretty loaded. I mean, Egypt, Yale, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. They're not hard pressed for things. Right. So she hooked me up and I drove her down to, uh, the airport, the Allen Dulles of all airports in Virginia, (laughs) for those who don't know, Allen Dulles is a big CIA guy. I think he was even one of the founders, if not the founder of the CIA. So yeah, strange name for an airport, but uh, I took her there and on my way home after I dropped her off for a flight, I stopped along the Susquehanna River a bunch. Like I took, I literally went, because I never like taking a highway if i'm gonna drive somewhere and i'm not on a time limit i'll take back roads the whole way you know so i took the back roads along the susquehanna river and found a spot that i resonated with and said some words of of peace at the river and and threw some tobacco in the water and and just kind of strolled on and did my thing and and drove out of pennsylvania and then couple months later, I'm talking to the Susquehanna alchemist himself, Michael Wan, on my podcast. And he's like, you know, connecting on this level that at that point I had an experience with a guest because although I had some really great guests, like straight out of the gate, I mean, we had Chris Knowles on episode 14. That was a big one for me. We had John Potash, Chris Bennett, you know, these are authors that I like looked up to. I was really grateful. Charlie Robinson's another guest I had really early on. But with Mike, it was like meeting a friend, you know, whereas everyone else, it was like, okay, these these are guests. We're going to talk about what they have prepared to talk about. Mike was kind of just like, well, what do you want to talk about? And I was so thrown off by that. I was like, well, I could be myself. I just never thought that the guests would want me to do that. So now I'm like, I'm being myself and my co-hosts weren't with me for that episode. Thank goodness. And uh, because they were great at the time, but they did kind of keep me in that personality that I had, like, you know, the, the reflection that they got from my personality. Cause we all reflect differently depending on who we are Absolutely. around. And and my friends, Jay and, and those guys brought out a, a less mature side of me which Juan and Chris kind of bring out, but Juan and Chris have way more respect for me than Jay and my friends who like know me in this world do. And they don't have that much respect for me, but it's a lot more than Jay and all those guys do. So I think that makes that show fun. Whereas with them, it was like, okay, okay, okay. This is inside jokes and things that like people listening to the podcast are not going to understand. So and that the show episode, with Chris and Juan is Illuminati confirmed, and the one with Michael Juan, his podcast is Susquehanna Alchemy. Just for those who don't know, yeah, I should clarify because Juan and Juan, and <laughs> that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that um, in that way yet, but yeah. So no slight to Jay and the guys; they're all great, and I'm grateful that they helped me launch this show. 
But it was cool that that episode in particular worked out that way. It was like a perfect confluence of synchronistic. Exactly. And and Mike and I, I, I named that episode Synchromysticism Defined because that's what I wanted to talk about with him. And he he had some answers, but for the most part, you know, that's not his like thing to go and tell people like what synchromysticism is. I think other people have said to him like, oh, dude, you're synchromystic. You know, that's I think that was like a given name rather than a, a chosen name gotcha. for for Michael Wan. And yeah, since then, Michael Wan and I have become really good friends. We uh, like he basically invited me to come over his house anytime after that interview. He was like, yeah, if you're ever in the area, come on down. So I'm like, well, shoot, I actually am going to be driving through Pennsylvania pretty soon. And I, I made my way through Pennsylvania. And on my way back from my trip, I stopped at his place. And uh, yeah, we've been friends ever since. And now we do a podcast together. So I think that's like the power of water, especially a huge river like the Susquehanna. And now having the blessing of knowing Mike and being able to talk to him and understand who he is, I've been able to understand a little better how he discovered what he discovered about the Susquehanna River. And that's really important to me because you and I both live in a state that's named after a river, a big river, uh, the Connecticut River. And the history is fascinating. I mean, even the connection to the Susquehanna River is is really evident. The Delaware, the Hudson, the Connecticut, and the Susquehanna River were considered like the four main arteries of the East Coast uh, during the early days of the colonies. And before that, when the Iroquois and all of the you know, Lenape and all the different tribes that were on the East Coast, they regarded uh, specifically in the North, the Susquehanna, the Delaware, the Hudson, and uh, Connecticut as very important because they, you could travel all the way up to the North using these rivers and come, you know, back down to the South when it's warmer or when it's colder, right? Where it was in the North and vice versa, you know, people had a very migratory uh lifestyle it wasn't really nomadic in the sense that they just went anywhere like the plains natives did uh or at least we're told they did we don't really we can't fair say enough, for sure enough. you know but yep. yeah that's that's been fascinating looking into that and i think we got into that just because of the little egret there but water is is powerful you know so water birds specifically have have always been uh very important and a, a synchronicity that goes to uh, an animal, like I kind of kicked off at the beginning here, Tara and I, we saw while we were driving one day last year, a big blue, great blue heron, they call them great blue herons. And I noticed just from my knowledge of animals that this bird was struggling based on the way it was flying and the way it was standing on the side of the road. So we pulled over on a pretty busy street that was probably dangerous for us to do. And like a Stever, when I jumped in the thick (laughs) brush and got after this guy, like I really wanted to help this bird because his leg was so torn. A car must have hit him and and broke his leg. His leg was so torn that his knee, because these types of birds have like a backwards knee compared to the way our knees are articulated, but it was flipped around. So his leg had completely broken. And uh, 
yeah, it was really shocking. And and he was shocked because no bird ever wants to be like caught, you know? So he was trying to get away from me as much as he could. Luckily he was between me and the street was behind me and a thick, thick brush was in front of us. So I was able to get in the brush and trap him under a bush get my hands around him. Tara grabbed a a towel from the trunk and we kind of got his wings nice and safe and wrapped him with the towel so he couldn't fight. But he only had one foot and this huge, huge like knife dagger beak, like knife, like a knife. Like he could have poked both of our eyes out. And, uh, And Tara drove the car as I held the bird in the back seat. You know, I'm holding it at arm's length away from me. And we were driving all over afternoon uh, trying to find a place to bring this poor bird. But that was one of the many, you know, synchronistic things because, you know, we didn't get a reward from the state or something for saving a a bird. But to us, that was a huge blessing from spirit. Like, hey, here's an opportunity to go out of your way for a creature that how could it repay you other than just by being itself? You know, that's, Absolutely. that's something that we take so for granted is like the, our place in, in nature and how all these animals around us contribute to our lives, even in ways that we don't expect. I mean, those birds, we could just examine them uh, straight up. I mean, they eat fish, they eat all kinds of stuff. I mean, how does that affect us directly? I'm not a biologist, but there is a way, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. And, and they did find a uh, rescue for the bird, for those who are curious. Yeah, we found a place and we we got him uh, to a nice home, him or her, whichever gender, I'll never know. I think it was a male because ten, the males tend to be more brilliantly colored yep. in bird species. But I don't know if that's true for great blue herons. I'll have to go back on Wikipedia and look, but... Uh, yeah, we brought him to this really interesting farm. Uh, Tara and I both got shocked by the electric fence. <laughs> we, were, <laughs> we were looking around the farm and this really interesting person named Hawk uh, was there to greet us and, and assured us that the bird would be taken care of. And uh, yeah, we looked around and we saw some really strange goats. Goats have such a weird eyeball i don't know if you've ever seen a goat's eyeball yeah, they're not close. like quite straight they're like kind of off to the side but not they're totally like, off to the side yeah and their their pupils are like little uh rectangles it's like really strange like they're like rectangular and and even the the bird had strange eyes so i think you know whatever you people can get from this is like notice the attributes of the animals that you're drawn to whether it's as extreme as you rescuing an animal like I did or not. I think the fact that uh, this bird had big, really interesting eyes. And I remember looking at the way it was closing its eyes. Cause how rare is that to be able to be that close to yeah. a big bird like that? So I'm sitting in the back of my car with this bird, hoping he doesn't poop on me and I'm watching his eyes and they've had this really interesting, clear uh, eyelid. It's a clear eyelid. So it seems like they don't shut their eyes at all. But apparently they also have a second eyelid that closes at night so they can sort of or whenever they they rest, uh, whenever that is. So, yeah, I found that to be really peculiar. And um, myself, I sort of have uh, like a lens on my eye because I wear contacts and it's like, huh, I wonder what that told me about like 
my vision and like where I should be and what I'm seeing and what I see in myself. And, and since that time, since last summer, um, I think my podcast has accelerated because I've really like <clears throat> honed into what I see my podcast being. And that's something I learned from martial arts is like when you want to perform a move properly, you have to see it in your mind first. And that's not just true for martial arts. It's true for everything. So considering how long I've listened to podcasts, I was able to take what I liked about all the podcasts I've been a fan of and integrate that into, you know, what I see my show hopefully sounding like more and more as I progress. Cause each episode is, uh, you know, better than the last, in my opinion, you know, and I think that's something that every podcaster should keep in mind is like, you always have to be striving to improve your skill set. And, you know, some people come to this podcasting table with different skill sets, um, you know, interview, some people are comedians, and it's just all about telling jokes and being in the pocket, you know, there's all sorts of varieties to how to do this. Uh, but I think, yeah, it's it's really cool to um, to be able to speak all of this into the ether. Because for a long time, I was just speaking it into the ether, and no one was hearing it. And, and now, now people are benefiting from uh, what I'm thinking about, which is strange, you know. Like, who am I? What are my thoughts? So, why are they so important? But you know, to bring up that thing I mentioned about channeling earlier, and how I wanted to ask you. Um, I think that all of the knowledge that I know personally is not my own. I don't think that I'm like some kind of original person. I think we're all just channeling this information. And it's really just about like, how wide is your nozzle to accept the information? That might lead to some gay jokes, but, uh, but yeah, how wide are, you know, how wide is your perspective? How wide is your spectrum? You know, and a good example of that is the eye. Like we only see this much of the visible light spectrum. There's this whole huge, you know, beyond that, this variety of light that our eyes just aren't tuned to see. Well, our minds are just like that, you know, so many of us, you know, start out life with this huge potential and then school dims that spectrum down to what your career is going to be. And then you're like, oh, well, I don't understand what these smart people are talking about. I'm just going to go drink a beer and and move on with my life. And that's fine if you're happy with that. I don't want to sound like some kind of snob. But I think there's a, a purpose that we all come to life with. And that purpose involves growing. And in order to grow, you have to, to learn, you know, it's, it doesn't, you can't escape that. And it's sad when you meet people who, who are done learning, you know, yeah. and it comes in different forms. Some people, like I said, are happy to be where they're at. Uh, other people get really mad at you if you try to question their comfortable reality that they're living. Oh, in, yes. Oh, yes. Know? And and that's a lot of why the name of my show resonates with so many people, because as soon as you realize most of these concepts, you want to tell everybody, you want to tell people so that they could benefit too from what it seems like you're benefiting from. And, and as we went through, it's, it's nuanced, you know, it's not always to your benefit. But I think if your heart is in the right place, and your intentions are pure, 
you will naturally channel more and more information gradually that fits your spiritual archetype, whoever that may be. And now all of us have an archetype that we're sort of either creating or fulfilling. Some of us are trailblazers and we're going to create a new archetype in this lifetime and it's not going to fit any mold. And others are going to fill an archetype that, you know, maybe they're going to be the best at. Maybe they're going to take a shot at being the best at, or maybe they did it in a way where they have so much integrity, you know, like, so there are ways to, to innovate. We're not all just fixed. Uh, but I think there is something archetypical about the way we come here. And the sad thing about social engineering is they try to get ahead of that. They try to get ahead of what your archetypical potential could be. And they try to, you know, put it in a cul-de-sac instead of a two lane street, you know? And yeah. I think that's, that's really what it should be. And we should be uh, exchanging the the high and the low in a balanced way. And I'm a Libra, so that all makes sense to me. Some people are like, balance, how the hell do you do that? But yeah, I think that's uh that's kind of where I'm at with channeling. It's kind of like a, a thing that just either happens or it doesn't. And certain people bring it out of me, certain guests bring it out of me. This conversation certainly bringing it out of me. So the fact that you said what you said, I'm kind of like, okay, maybe Elle and I have similar experiences with channeling. And that's where I'll ask you, like, do you, do you feel like that's true for you where you just sort of start channeling and, and it's like, oh, okay, I, I know this is happening. You might not have seen it coming, but you're aware when you shift from one to the other. Yeah. So, so I'll address two things. One, I definitely think that we are capable of all the knowledge in the world. Like we already have it all in us. It's in our DNA or whatever you want to call it. The 12 strands, the DNA that they say with the double helix, uh, our consciousness source, like whatever term you want to use. I really think we have all of this knowledge inside us. It's just, how do we connect to it? Do we connect to it through the experiences? Do we connect to it? Um, with the people that we talk to or things like that, is that how we unlock it? Is that how we channel it is through these experiences and through these things, you know, there's people who say um, they go on certain psychedelics and things like that. And then they seem to have more knowledge of things or more understanding. So I really think that every person has the capability to understand everything. Like I don't understand quantum physics right now, but I believe that in the right circumstances I could, and that everyone could. And so to answer your question about channeling, I can definitely get into a flow with people. And that's one type of channeling, but I also will do, and I don't know, this is, I haven't talked about this before, but I will channel and I get this, like, I don't, I stop looking at the person. I kind of like zone out and I just talk and whatever is coming out of my mouth, it's sometimes my voice will change. Um, it's, it's not fully me. Cause I don't really remember once I'm done channeling what I said, but then I look at the person and they have this look on their face. Like, how did you know that? Like, what the fuck? Like all of these things. And I've learned to recognize that, but I can't go back and be like, oh yeah. So this is why I channeled, or this is what I said. So in those instances, I really hope those people are paying attention because I can't go back and replicate that. I have no memory of it. Um, I feel like when that happens, it's what that person needs to hear at that time. And that's, I'm just using, I become a vessel for that person to hear that information. 
So I kind of do two types of channeling, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I feel like I used to be able to do that a lot better when I wasn't so attached to um, where I'm at right now, because I feel like part of the research that I'm doing is trusting my intuition and not getting too hung up on like recalling everything right away, because I know when I'm prompted, all of the information will be channeled through me because I've spent the time looking through it. And I think there's an even like more mystical side of that because you can explain that like, oh, well, that's NLP. You're like programming your brain to like remember that stuff, even though you're not actually saying it in a sort of word by word way in your stream of consciousness. It's getting stored somewhere. Sure. okay, I could go with that. I think that's true. But then I think there's another side of it where when you're researching things, you will come across things that were waiting for you to find them. And that's the only way I can explain it because that's the only way it feels. It's like you come across some information. It's like, hello, I was waiting for you. Like, and it sticks out to you and you're like, whoa. And then it fits so many of this other pieces together that you weren't quite making sense of before, but that one piece that you were waiting for then makes all these 10 other pieces make sense. Well, yeah. And sometimes it makes you know, even less sense because you find another piece and you're like, oh crap, now the other eight pieces don't fit together. So it could go either way. Uh, But yeah, I I think the the best way to tune into something like that, like if for people who are listening and want to start digging into what mysteries are waiting for them, look into places that you have a physical connection to, places that you've been to, places where your family Uh, has been in the past, you know, and things like that will open up doors for you where others will not. Like if I tried to research the Bermuda Triangle, might not go so smoothly as somebody who was born in a place that's on the coast of the water that's considered the Bermuda Triangle. Maybe someone in Florida or even someone who's born on Bermuda. I'm sure there's Mm-hmm. You know, small population of people that live in Bermuda that listen to podcasts. And I'm sure there's one guy out there. Hi, Eddie, who listens to weird podcasts in Bermuda. <laughs> if he's out there, hit us up. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, that for me, Connecticut felt like, oh, this is going to, you know, there's not much going on in Connecticut. But no, so wrong about that. I remember the first weird thing I heard about Connecticut that got my gears going was that the first governor was an alchemist. And when you look that up, you're like, okay, who's the first governor of Connecticut? Well, he's not an alchemist, but you have to consider that the Connecticut state was a colony before it was a state. And the first governor of the Connecticut colony was an alchemist. So at first I didn't, I've looked for the governor and I'm like, oh, this guy, that's not an alchemist. This guy must be wrong. And then a couple months later, I find out about this colony and I start looking into that. I'm like, oh, John Winthrop, the younger, he's the governor. He's the colony governor and he's an alchemist. Look at that. So that's about all I really remember about that guy. There's more. But yeah, I think Connecticut is is strange. And as a fellow Connecticut native and resident, I'm sure you can appreciate that. So not Connecticut native, but yes, a resident. I'm a a Michigander. 
You've told Michigan. me that. You've yeah. told me that. I'm sorry. And no, no. that must be cool for you that we have uh, Chad Stemke yes. on. I mean, are you from anywhere near where Chad talks about? Very much so. I knew exactly when he was talking about um, Belle Isle and uh, the plaza that it's escaping right now. Right. Thing right uh heart plaza heart plaza they were i was gonna say heart for plaza but that was right yes heart plaza um i know where he is in traverse not where his house is but i know where traverse city is um i know about the cherry festival like all of those things so it was very cool to hear that and just be like yeah i was there yeah i know what that is yeah i know about kobo yeah i know about all of these different places and what i find interesting is you were bringing up the water earlier and Michigan, you know, has the five Great Lakes. It's the largest amount of fresh water in the world. And so I was very drawn to water. And then I happened to then move to a state that also has a ton of water and it's on the ocean. So I'm very much drawn to water as well. Not particularly specific bodies of water, but more running water. So like I love waterfalls. If I just go random driving, I will always find a waterfall. Not planning to. I just always do. There's a really cool waterfall that Tara and I have been to in Massachusetts called Shelburne Falls. And they have these things called glacial potholes, which are like these really circular holes in very hard stone that appear near waterfalls. There's one in Connecticut right near one of the places that Tara and I went on one of our first dates, not our first date, but like one of our first dates. And uh, between me and you, when she hears this, hopefully I'll already have told her, but I was planning on surprising her by bringing her there because we never, we never went to that. It's called Chapman Falls. It's in, uh, it's near the devil's hop yard state park. And I've talked about this a bunch. All of anytime you see the word devil in New England in front of a place name, it's usually because the Native Americans found that place sacred or special or did some kind of ritual there for yep. some reason, right? So I found that really fascinating that there are these glacial potholes in one, two, three significant places. The third being when Tara and I went and visited Michael Wan. Uh, this past summer, I remember you talking we, about this. Yeah, we saw these glacial potholes that he took us to, and this is one of the significant places for him along the Susquehanna River. And there, there is no waterfall, which is interesting because you know the explanation is that water is a part of why these bowls yes. occur, right? It make would make sense that falling water could possibly do that, right? Okay, yeah, maybe right. you can imagine it, right? And the explanation is that the sand gets in a circular vortex and just starts grinding away at the stone over many, 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 many years, which, okay, sure, scientists. But Mike is kind of like, hmm, I don't know about that, because these stones down on the Susquehanna, they don't seem to be near a waterfall at all. That could be because the land, the geology has shifted and there was once a waterfall motorcycles i don't want you to have to edit out the motorcycle noises you can <laughs> edit Joe's this job. out much easier <laughs> yeah it's much easier to edit me saying motorcycles out just tell joe to look for the word motorcycle but yeah i hate when that happens while i'm talking but yeah it's very strange the susquehanna river has a lot of strange things and that one spot is near three mile island which is very famous for a nuclear meltdown 
occurring. And I went there, no radiation sickness. So I don't know what the word is on that whole thing, but it was a very strange rock formation. And I found several strange rocks, one of which seems to have an animal carved into it. Right? Doesn't that yeah. look like some yeah, sort of... Yeah, it, it almost looks like a turtle from one angle, but then it also could look like a beaver. I could see it. Because mm. um, like this back yeah, the part tail. almost looks like a tail, right? But I could see a turtle too. Like it has the four legs and the head and the shell. Like, Yeah, and it is, it is harder to see the exact grooves through the camera. But to me, I've always thought it was a cow the way it's shaped. But... Uh, but yeah, it could just like I've never seen a rock with an another rock on it that's an exactly different color. Like a, yeah, maybe it's like a geologist stamped in. Yeah, it's really strange. Maybe a geologist could look at this and be like, "Oh, well, that's this." But to me, this seems like hum- a human being did something to this stone a long, long time ago. So, so I found what do you a couple think the cool glacial things. potholes are then. If you don't think that they're waterfalls, like what do you think they could be? That's a great, I mean, that's, that's really hard to, to answer. You know, honestly, I think what it could be is something to do with stone being less solid than we're told under certain conditions, right? So maybe there are vibratory energies, maybe there are plasma energies or something like that. That would make a stone have different properties than it would uh, under normal circumstances or under current circumstances. Because there are uh, theories that say that the Earth's energy grid used to be much different than it is today. And that could possibly be a part of it. It could be an asteroid thing. Who knows? Maybe some shit fell from the sky and it was so hot that it just burned these holes in there. Who I om- what So what comes to mind in disclaimer i have no idea what i'm talking about this is totally off the top of my head but what came to mind were two things one singing bowls and two like you know how people play the water glasses they you know they fill the cups with different amounts of water and they can run their finger around and it makes you know the different uh tones i wonder if you could do something like that if you know depending upon the depth of the bowl or and i don't know what you would use to try and make it sing or anything like that but I don't know. I'm just, I'm just playing around. I love that idea. I didn't think of that at all. My thought with that was um, that maybe they used them, which this doesn't account for how the stone was made that way, but I imagine how people would use these things practically. And I said, well, when the water comes up this high, there must be fish and stuff that gets caught in these bowls so this would be a great place to fish or even just store food. I mean, if you could, if you had a bunch of fish and you put them in these little holes and then like put a lid on it, I mean, yeah, you could store, fish yeah, yeah it'd be, well, I don't know how long fish would live in something like that, but you at uh-huh. least keep it away from bears and things yeah. like that, possibly if you had a heavy stone to put on top of it. So there's no doubt that these sorts of places just sort of, um, you know, attract human activity over time what they were doing with the bowls that's very interesting have you ever heard of the singing rocks yes so that's yeah maybe you were thinking about that too but yeah i mean tara has sound bowls and i i know how to play them it's pretty cool i'd be 
curious to know maybe if we took like a certain type of stone and used it in the same way you, you would use a mallet on the glass yep. and it could make a, a certain noise. Yeah. Like, and I, I don't, I honestly don't think it's metal. I think it's more of, it's going to be a harder stone and they would have to have smoothed it at some point, but as you could run it around and grant you, I don't know how big these glacial potholes are. I've never seen them in person, but as you're doing that, I feel like it could be a very ceremonial thing. It could be, you know, they talk about the cathedrals being um, sound healing and things like that. That's what they supposedly used to be depending upon who you ask. Um, And so I can picture them, you know, like a singing bowl rubbing this smoothed rock around these glacial potholes. Check this out. So this is another stone that I found in the area. And as soon as you started describing that, I'm like, wow, okay. I used to think this might've been a tool because of the way it's shaped. It's got like one square end and one like flat end, almost like a, like a heel that you would use to like get your shoes off. It almost looks like a shoehorn people. That's yeah. Shoehorn. Right. But then, you know, imagine primitive, it could be a spear. Right. Yeah. But to your point, wow, that's really cool to think that maybe I picked up on that and picked this thing up and they were using it like this or like this to, you know, make those bowls sing. So fun fact, I don't know if you noticed. So I wasn't super deep doing it because I remember what I was saying, but remember how I was like, oh yeah, I look off and then I don't. I noticed, I noticed. I think think you were onto something there. I think I'm onto something there too. And the fact we, that you just happen to have something that looks like a mallet type thing that you could use on a singing bowl and that you found in that place. I don't know. I think I'm on something. <laughs> well, we wouldn't be able to test it out at Shelburne Falls, but we could test it out at that place in the Susquehanna or maybe even Chapman Falls. So yeah, I don't know when this podcast is being released, but I hope I'm able to take Tara to Chapman Falls tomorrow uh and then maybe she'll hear this and be like oh my god he's so sweet <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's going to be at least a week so you sh- if you're going tomorrow you have plenty of time awesome awesome right on yeah i i have found so many cool things just trusting my intuition and tara has this sort of energy that blends with that really well just the way she sees life and the way she approaches life with this sort of freedom and uh yeah, we just, you know, roll the dice, literally. Like, we'll take a dice and roll it, and if it lands on a five, well, the next route that I see that has a five in it, we're going to take a right on that route, you know? And, like, that's kind of that. how we found a lot of the cool places at the beginning of this. And with gas prices and my car situation, we haven't been doing much synchromistic journeying lately, but I think that's going to change really soon, especially with the help of folks like you who support me on the Patreon and as more join in, hopefully we'll be able to, uh, you know, upgrade our situation. I think the goal that Tara and I both have is to travel and be sort of nomadic for a certain period of time and then find a place to settle down, you know, like a place where we can be somewhat self-sustainable growing our own food and all that while still being somewhat close to society because she wants to live near the water and she, you can't get, can't go very remote when you l- still live near the water, unless you want to 
go in another country or a state that's huge. So we'll see. I don't necessarily want to go on the West Coast where those huge states are, but yeah. uh, but we'll see. We'll see. So that's the plan. And, and I think when you have that freedom to just be able to like, okay, we're going to go anywhere that comes to our, presents itself to our intuition, spirit guides you to places that will be transformative if that's what you're looking for or reassuring or strengthening or whatever you need in life at that particular time if you open yourself up to the spirit of the now it'll present a lesson to you and that lesson could be challenging could be easy could be inspiring it could be daunting but it will be there it will be present for sure that's my experience yeah there's been plenty of times that i'll be like okay i'm just gonna go for a drive and i'll kind of have like a town-ish in mind just so I like some type of direction and then but then I stop using you know Google Maps or Waze or whatever I'm using when I whenever I feel like it and then I just go okay give me signs and whether it's a song that plays on the radio or something that pops into my head or a sign that I see and I just I follow and like I said I always find waterfalls and I always find these little places that just happen to work out and I get that you know you feel spirit or source or whatever you want to call it in those places. Yeah, I, I think I think when it comes to living in a city, it's just not for me. But I don't think you necessarily have to be in a wild space to experience this. You know, people who live in cities can, I think, still experience this kind of energy. Because a lot of these places that cities were built on were once really wild, strange places, you know, yes. and that's why they chose them as you know, where to break ground and, and found these cities, these big East coast cities. I've never been to the West coast. So I think I'm pretty East coast centric in the way that I think, but, uh, but yeah, the East coast is, is certainly true. Uh, like there's still wild energy in these cities. And I think it's being like yin yang, like it's being like spun somehow And you can see it in the demographics, the classes, and the layouts of the city where rich people, poor people, you know, this demographic, this demographic live. I think there's a certain plan for that kind of stuff. And that's what I've been researching lately, like why people end up where they end up and, uh, and what are some of the forces at play that designed our country to be laid out the way it is? Well, there's always, and I don't know if it's more of a Michigan thing or Midwest thing, um, but there's always like that, the other side of the train tracks. And typically the other side of the train tracks was the poor side of town. You know, you see it in movies, they're from the other side of the train tracks or the wrong side of the tracks. Um, And so what is it about railroad tracks? Why is that a dividing line? And why is there always this very clear barrier of, upscale low scale or that division in society like there's an actual physical divide in the road yeah and they did it with highways planning the highways after world war ii i mean new haven you've been there you know Mm -hmm. what the highway where the highway is and one side of it's yale university and you know big houses professors and doctors live in and then the other side is like gunshot gun wave in new haven you know it's like yep a place that, uh, yeah, many people struggle in where others are like 
extremely, extremely, uh, you know, launched into a higher society where others are just like relegated to the absolute bottom. And that's not exclusive to New Haven, but it is very pronounced when you consider Yale's history and all that. So, yes, yes. Well, you've definitely given me a lot to think about. And I'm like that singing bowl thing. I'm still thinking about that. That was really cool. I really appreciate you coming on here. I'm obviously going to put everything in the show notes, but tell people where they can find you as well, please. Yeah. Thank you. My family thinks I'm crazy.com and uh, altmediaunited.com, which speed bumps should be on there already, but it's not yet. I think I asked you to send me the info when you have five or so episodes out. So maybe you're already there, but I'm going to send you the info form. And for people who don't know, Alt Media United is a podcast cooperative. Anybody's welcome to be a part of it. There's no strings attached by being a part of it. And our goal is to help podcasters remain independent and find success in an industry that rewards people for being independent if you do it the right way. Uh, there are many other, you know, networks and all kinds of stuff that'll tie you up and maybe ask you to pay them, but we'll never ask you to pay us. We want to help you get paid and and do what you love in an easier way, or at least be supported in doing what you love. So, L, this has been a pleasure. Everybody who wants to check me out, like I said, my family thinks I'm crazy. Dot com has all of the shows that I do the other podcasts that I do are there as well so that's the best place to go yes thank you so much Mark and I hope everyone enjoyed this conversation I know I definitely did and I hope y'all have a wonderful wonderful day